But if you're going to look at it from a 30,000-foot perspective, you probably won't find a more compelling spring game than Colorado. Just given what Coach Prime has done in short order and just how much turnover there's been. Welcome to Always College Football. Today is Friday, April 21st. It's the eve of several spring games that I know all of you are very excited for. We also have a spring game tonight. That's the Syracuse Orange taking the field. So a lot to look forward to this weekend if you are a diehard college football fan like me. I'm Greg McElroy. Along with me, as always, Jack Foster, Mark Kubiak. We have a great show in store for you like we do in the season, we're going to try to treat this like a Friday show, except we're not going to break down specific matchups. We're going to break down specific questions. We're going to go team by team, teams that will take the field tonight and tomorrow and kind of tell you, hey, here's what I want to see. Here's the number one priority. Here's what I'm looking at. Here's why I think this team might be good. Here's why I think this team might struggle. Here's areas that were of concern last year that need to get addressed. So those are kind of be the questions that we're going to ask. We're going to hit Bama. We're going to hit Utah. We're going to hit Oklahoma State. We're going to hit Oklahoma. We're going to hit a bunch of different teams that I'm sure you will be excited about, including Coach Prime's spring game debut debut at Colorado. So let's not waste any time. We got a lot that we need to get to. Let's hit it. Let's talk about it. 10 questions we want answered here in spring game Saturday number two. Now, I know games have been played on Thursdays, Fridays, what have you. Uh, there might even be a game on Sunday. I don't I haven't looked. But I'll say this. Spring Saturdays are a look behind the curtain. Are we going to learn a lot? Not necessarily, but there are some questions that we want answered when assessing some of the spring games coming up this Saturday. I have a laundry list of questions some notable teams that will be taking the field, and we're going to try to see if we can't figure out some answers. So let's start with my alma mater, the Alabama Crimson Tide. Spring football question number one. Will Alabama find their quarterback? Now, we're going to probably watch Alabama, and we're probably going to overreact to what we see and probably overreact to what we learn and all this other stuff. So we're going to draw some ridiculous comparisons to yesteryear and say, well, he's not as good as Bryce Young, or, oh, you know, I don't know if he's quite Mac Jones, or I don't know, he doesn't really have that Tua instinct feel. Fine. But think back since the time Nick Saban took over in Tuscaloosa. And let's just say 2009, who I'm very familiar with that quarterback competition. I'm sure, and I don't know this for certain, but I'm sure there were rumblings out in Tuscaloosa like, I don't know about the quarterback. Well, guess what? In 2011, when A.J. McCarron was battling Philip Sims, I heard rumblings from the coaching staff and other people associated with the program. Hey, I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. Well, A.J. McCarron ends up winning the job, ends up being pretty good. 14, A.J. McCarron leaves. Well, there's a battle between Jake Coker, a transfer from Florida State against Blake Sims. And Blake Sims looks terrible in the spring game. And they're like, we can't throw it to save our life. Well, next thing you know, Blake Sims actually ends up being a pretty good player. Then the next year, Blake Sims leaves. How are they going to replace him? Jake Coker is going to battle Cooper Bateman. And they're going to battle back and forth. And it won't even be until game four before Jake Coker secures the job. And then 16, taking it the next year. 
Oh, we can't start a true freshman. Jalen Hurts, he can't. He, he's not ready to make this leap just yet. Nick Saban's never started a true freshman quarterback. He's certainly not going to do it now. So they start Blake Barnett, and next thing you know, Jalen Hurts takes over third quarter of the USC game, and the rest is history. So what I'm saying is I've heard pretty much every single time there's been a competition at the position that there's problems at the quarterback spot, and we're just not sure. That's par for the course. And guess what? You're probably not going to find out in the spring game. Both quarterbacks, both Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson, go out and throw three picks each. And it doesn't mean they can't play on Saturdays in the fall. So don't freak out if they look bad and don't give them the Heisman if they look great. Still a long way to go before the quarterback position has to be ironed out. And I think like most teams, a notable name enters the portal in the next eight days. Would it surprise you if Alabama's potentially in the mix, especially if there's an established veteran guy that's played before? If a guy like that hits the portal, everybody and their brother is going to be clamoring for him, and Alabama will likely be one of those teams. So we'll see what happens, but don't overreact to the performance of Saturday, and don't overreact to the fact that there's buzz, that maybe the quarterbacks haven't been as expected I've heard that about seven times, and the quarterback position in Tuscaloosa has, for the most part, always been in pretty good shape. Let's go next to the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, where there is a quarterback competition, but quite the opposite of Alabama. You're hearing rave reviews of not just one guy, but of two guys. And one thing that I'm really interested in, too, now, a lot of people are saying, well, you know, Sam Hartman, I mean, this is an indictment on him. I mean, coming up from Wake Forest, he's supposed to just run away with the quarterback job and, hey, Tyler Buckner, take a knee. We're going to let Sam Hartman be the guy. What what kind of culture is that? What kind of program is that? You don't want that. We're talking about a guy in Sam Hartman that was a highly coveted transfer that, statistically speaking, is one of the all-time accomplished passers in NCAA history. He's 19th all-time in NCAA history in passing yards. 18th all-time in passing touchdowns. So a guy that has had a remarkably good career at this point, you'd think he's just going to step right into the job, secure the reins, everybody else stand by the wayside. That has not been the case. If anything, Tyler Buckner has been every bit as prepared for the competition as one can imagine. And that is not, like I said, that's not an indictment on Sam Hartman. Ultimately, do I think Sam Hartman's going to be the starting quarterback? Yeah, probably. Probably will be. But it's a great thing for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish that they have not just one guy that can play at a high level, but now, based on his progress made this offseason, they have two guys that can play at a really high level as well. Sounds like Buckner's more consistent throwing the football. Sounds like Buckner's taken strides as far as decision-making, both in the run game and in the pass game. And it sounds like his footwork has improved as well. So it's a lot of very exciting progress being made in South Bend. So let's just see exactly how close that quarterback competition is. And remember, if Buckner lights it up, it doesn't mean Sam Hartman can't play. It just means that one day, one guy got the better than the other. That's what happens in a legitimate quarterback competition. Moving on out west. Let's keep it in the gold helmet family for a moment. The Colorado Buffaloes. Has there been a more anticipated spring game on the calendar this year? 
I know for your specific team, if you're a Buckeye fan, you were fired up about Ohio State's spring game last week. If you're a Michigan fan, you were thrilled with what you saw from Michigan spring game a couple Saturdays ago. I know Bama fans are fired up. Georgia fans loved last week's game. I know all this other stuff. So maybe for your one team, yes, that's the most exciting, most anticipated spring game of them all. But if you're going to look at it from a 30,000-foot perspective, you probably won't find a more compelling spring game than Colorado. Just given what Coach Prime has done in short order and just how much turnover there's been. I mean, Coach Prime was ridiculously active on the recruiting trail in the 23 class. Late addition, obviously, to the staff. He goes out and he signs 19 guys. Well, you couple that with 25 guys that were brought in from the portal, the number one portal class in the country, 44 new faces in general that will be taking the field this fall for the Buffaloes. It's pretty wild when you look at everything. More than half the roster are going to be guys that were not in a Colorado uniform last year. Of course, that's addition by subtraction because if you look at the pieces that have since entered the portal, it's anybody's guess as to whether or not those guys at Colorado can play to the standard that's expected of Coach Prime. You look at some of those specific players, okay? The 247 sports, who, as you guys know, I, I use them a lot for the recruiting. I think they do a great job. They're well-resourced, and they really do a nice job of investing in the recruiting process and the evaluation process as well. But number one... Just a number of players, 25, okay? Number one portal class, 25 players. Many of them rated three stars, but you do have seven players in that portal class that are considered blue chip players. Those are four stars or better, including Travis Hunter, who's a dynamic weapon, both offensively and defensively, played receiver and DB for Jackson State just last year, and Shador Sanders, who was a highly regarded prospect coming out of high school, but now we'll see whether or not his talents will translate to the Power 5 level. So Colorado, ton of momentum that was created in December and January, but how is it now looking at the end of spring ball? How much progress can realistically be made in a 15-period practice? Probably not a ton of progress, but we're all excited Nonetheless, let's go just a little bit to the Southeast and hit the Oklahoma Sooners because I know that this is becoming a bit of a theme. Portal. Oklahoma last year, along both lines of scrimmage, was unrecognizably bad compared to what Brett Venables has had in the past. Now, I'm not saying compared to Oklahoma teams of yesteryear. I'm talking about what Brent Venables had at Clemson and the defense that Brent Venables wanted to employ. So what did they do? They went out and they attacked the portal. They went out and got 12 potentially instant impact transfers. Eight of the 12 were along the line of scrimmage, both offensively and defensively. What more do you want? They recognized a need. They went out, they identified potential immediate difference makers, and they made them such a huge priority that now they're calling Norman home, and they likely have a chance to be day one starters, whether it be, you know, right now, have they secured a starting job? TBD. But come fall, will they have secured a starting job? 
most of them, I think, are in line to at least battle for a number one spot. Let's start with Desan McCullough. McCullough is a transfer from Indiana. He announced his commitment alongside his brother, by the way, Dea, who's a four-star safety in the 23 class back in early December. Now, McCullough was a freshman, had 48 tackles and four sacks last year for the Hoosiers in just 11 games. Three years of eligibility remaining, but he's that edge presence, can line up in a two-point stance, might be that edge presence twitch guy that Brent Venables has used from time to time in the past. And then you slide inside. They need to get beefier. They need to get bigger. They need to be more capable of holding up on the interior. So they go to Notre Dame and they get Jacob Lacey. He actually committed before McCullough. That was back on November 24th. He's a four-star recruit from Kentucky. In the course of his time at Notre Dame, 35 tackles, six and a half for loss and two and a half sacks. So another guy that's played high-level football with some moderate productivity. Devon Sears, a transfer from Texas State, decided to go late in the process early January to Oklahoma. Redshirted last year, has two years of eligibility, but had 15 tackles in a sack in very limited playing time last year. Here's another difference maker, Rondell Bothroyd. Wake Forest was his previous school, decided at six foot four, 265 pounds that he wanted to step into the Big 12. And this is probably the most productive piece that they've added to date. 16 and a half career sacks and 136 career tackles. So keep an eye on Rondell Bothroyd. He's got some legitimate edge presence, both in the run game and getting after the quarterback. Caleb Schaefer along the offensive line, very high on him. People really love his game. He's coming down from Miami, Ohio. Trace Ford's a transfer from Oklahoma State. I bet those Thanksgiving dinners are interesting if he still has some family and friends that are aligned with the Pokes. But either way, eight and a half sacks and three forced fumbles over the course of three seasons, he's got a chance to compete for an end position on defense as well. And then finally, in the back end, Reggie Pearson, a guy that I really liked. You watched him last year at Texas Tech. I think he's got a chance to fortify the back end of that defense. So those are some of the guys that I'm going to be paying close attention to on Saturday and throughout summer and throughout fall. Those are some of the big, notable additions that they've made there in Norman to potentially improve the depth, especially on the defensive side of the football. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Let's head to the Pacific Northwest where we visit with the Washington Huskies. This team has a legitimate chance to get to the college football playoff. And while at first glance, 
You look at their statistics defensively, you're going to sit there and say, you know, they finished third and yards allowed, you know, it could take a little bit of a step. Maybe they can find themselves in a good position defensively to match what they're obviously going to get from Michael Penix and the offense. But then you dive a little bit deeper, man. And so many of their issues in the past defense last year are going to be addressed. Maybe I'm just too optimistic, but they're going to be addressed just by tackling a little bit better, man. I mean, I'm telling you, man, this team tackling wise, all three levels, they led so many big plays on the hook. If they could just get off the field by dropping guys in the open field, they'll be in such a good position. I'm also pretty intrigued by a couple of guys that did not participate last year. One was at SC, one was out. These are two guys that could very easily make a difference. Raylan Goforth was at USC. He's a potential difference maker, 147 tackles in his career with the Trojans. He could top, probably the top end of that defense could be in a great position as far as tackle productivity is concerned. But I'll tell you what, keep an eye on this name. Edafuan Yulofoshio. Yulofoshio, okay? When you are able to pronounce it, he's terrific. Yulofoshio, okay? This guy can flat out ball. Now, we're going to see exactly where he's at, but he's a guy to keep an eye on. Yulofashio, okay? That's his last name. This guy is the real deal, so keep an eye on him. Really, you look at some of the other aspects of their defense. Gave up 26 touchdown passes, gave up eight yards per attempt. These are all problematic. Did have seven picks to show for it, but that's not enough, especially when you're going against teams that are throwing it all over the yard because you have to match Washington point for point. You're going to surrender. You're never going to be a top 10 defense against the pass. Let's just acknowledge that. It's not going to happen. Why? Because teams are going to have to roll the dice offensively against you. If your team couldn't score, guess what? You know what I'd do if I were an offense? Slow the game down and figure it out. But either way, you're going to have to match Washington point for point. Washington went out and they've found some depth. They go out and get Oklahoma State transfer Jabbar Muhammad. I think he's got a chance to be the top cornerback that they brought in. Michelle Powell was a last was a starter last year prior to getting injured. Julius Irvin missed most of 22 with an injury. So you're also noticing a trend there. They were banged up last year as well. So there's a lot to like about what they bring back just from a health standpoint, what they've added already in the portal, and the addition of the JUCO transfer in Thaddeus Dixon who has the size and length to play in the back end of the position. So I'm very optimistic about Washington taking some serious strides forward on defense. They almost have to if they really want to keep pace with some of the great teams in college football and make that run on behalf of the Pac-12 to the college football playoff. Let's go down to the Bayou where we visit with Brian Kelly and LSU. There are very few teams that are likely going to start in the top 10, top 12, top 15 that return a difference maker at quarterback. LSU is one of those. Jaden Daniels did an amazing job last year. After the first four or five games, he was just trying to do it all himself, wasn't he? It's almost like he didn't want to go through his progressions. He didn't want to drop back, stay in the pocket, and throw the ball accurately and on time. He dropped back. If pressure came, he took off. And when he took off, he didn't often keep his eyes downfield long enough to deliver the ball to an uncovering wide receiver. That was the first four or five games. Well, fast forward to the last eight, totally different guy. Was willing to start to distribute. Was trying to figure out ways of being able to 
anticipate throws, was being on time with some of his receivers on third down man-to-man coverage situations. Really got a good sense of who he was as the season went along. They will ride him into the offseason with real playoff and national championship aspirations. But beyond him and beyond the young guys that are coming back, a couple of things that have me fired up here for the Bayou Bengals. One, two edge presences offensively. Two tackles, both true freshmen, could take a huge leap in year number two. Malik Neighbors is your go-to guy at wide receiver. Can't wait to see what he does with more looks in his direction. Defensively, you bring back Mason Smith. Guy's a complete game record, got hurt on the fifth defensive play of the season last year, celebrating what was a great play by him. Jumped up, landed weird on his knee. Boom, season's lost. Best defensive player at that point, lost for the season as well. But he's back, should be at 100%, should be fully recovered, and should be ready and able to take over games from that defensive tackle spot yet again. Harold Perkins' development. You bring in a couple other notable, notable interior presences along the defense as well. This is a team that was not going to just sit by the wayside and just let portal guys come to them. They went out and they attacked the portal, which was somewhat surprising. I would consider them to be a big-time winner in the portal. You obviously go out and you get a bunch of defensive backs, which was a position of concern last year. You go out and you acknowledge quickly. You got Denver Harris, five-star defensive back from Texas A&M. You get J.K. Johnson from Ohio State. You got Deuce Chestnut and Zy Alexander from Syracuse. And you look at kind of where they're at, they're in a pretty good spot. Zy Alexander did not go to Syracuse. So just Deuce Chestnut went to Syracuse. Zy Alexander is there as well. But you're looking at a situation, man. Their secondary is almost going to completely flip from where they were last year. And that was a position where they were not up to the standard from what we expect from LSU. Couple that with Omar Spate's addition at linebacker. He's from Oregon State. He'll line up alongside Harold Perkins, a guy that's played a ton of football and I think has a chance to be a complete difference maker down in that defense where the two linebackers will be able to flow freely. So very exciting time for LSU with the momentum that's been created early on in Brian Kelly's tenure, but now they might have the pieces to legitimately make a run. Do not sleep on the LSU Tigers this year. Another team that feels like they are perennially slept on. That's the Utah Utes. Now, last year, they didn't get slept on. And they got beaten week one. This year, I don't feel like anybody's talking about the Utes, and they should be. Now, Utah does have a few question marks, do have some legitimate pieces to replace. But some of the biggest things, like I, I know Cam Rising is going to be good to go come season time. Okay. Uh, look, I know he tore his ACL in the Rose Bowl. The way guys are recovering right now from ACLs, knowing the position that he plays, is he a risk? to put on the field a little early, sure. But knowing how hard he works, knowing how diligent he will likely be in his rehab process, I can't imagine any time being missed leading up to the season. But if for whatever reason he's unavailable, I think they have solid depth at that position either way. I'm really focusing more when looking at Utah on what are the things that are keeping them from making a playoff push, okay? That's probably the things that I'm most interested in right now. What have they been missing or what could they be missing this year that would position them 
to make a run at the playoff. One is an unhealthy Cam Rising. Okay, like I said, let's put that to bed. I think he's going to be just fine. Two is Jaquindon Jackson going to be the guy in the backfield? Now, I, I think you look at he was at one point he was a you know third string quarterback. Now he's in position to become a primary ball carrier. I mean, we're talking about a guy that showed some elusiveness, that showed some speed, that showed the ability to make guys miss and break tackles. Had 303 yards and six touchdowns on only 36 carries last year. It's just the last three games of the year. So he's well positioned to go alongside Micah Bernard as a tandem in the backfield that should be pretty exciting. Now, Bernard almost transferred. I wonder how much of that had to do with Jaquindon Jackson's, Jackson's emergence there in the back end of the season. That's question number one. Question number two, Clark Phillips. Who's filling his void? Okay. Look, he electrified last year. I mean, was one of the best defensive players, had a pair of touchdowns, did a great job in doing an awful lot for that defense. When they had to have a play, he almost always made it. Now, Cole Bishop is well positioned to become the next star. Had 83 tackles last year, a couple TFLs, a couple sacks. He's positioned at safety to at least be... I'm not going to call him Eric Weddle by any stretch, but I do think he has the versatility to play at the second level. I think he has the versatility to play on the back end. I think he can pressure. I think he's a really well-rounded player. Him, Travis Broughton, uh, Sione Vaki. There's a bunch of guys there in the back end that I feel pretty good about. So while I will miss Clark Phillips and the electric highlight reel plays he almost made on a week-to-week basis, I still think there's enough there in the back end for the Utes to be able to plug that void. And then finally, we already know that Brent Keithy is going to be back. He should be in a really good position. Assuming he's healthy, he'll be Rising's favorite target. That should come as no surprise. But they need receivers to step up. They need to, they just need them. They absolutely have to have them. You got Devon Vele, you got Money Parks, both made some strides last year. Vele had a pretty nice season. But now can we ramp up the production that he had nearing 700 yards? Can we hover into the 1,000-yard plateau mark? Can you start to flirt with that? Parks, only a couple scores, only 26 catches. I want to see his productivity go up as well. If that duo can improve, they're going to be really well positioned to combine with what Keithy's likely to do. And that passing attack could take a significant step forward. So that's what I want to see from the Utah Utes if they're going to close the gap to some of the playoff teams that would be considered preseason favorites. Let's go next to Oklahoma State, just a little bit to the east. Oklahoma State has 13 incoming transfers on their roster right now. Nine on the offensive side of the football, nine, uh, four on the defense side of the football. Four of those transfers made the 247 transfer playoff uh, player ranking top 150. That includes Dejan Stribling from Washington State. He's potentially going to be one of the go-to guys in the passing game. Dalton Cooper, an offensive lineman coming up from Texas State. He could be an immediate plug-and-play difference maker. Arlen Bruce, another wide receiver from Iowa. What will he be able to do there for the pokes? And then finally, 
Anthony Goodlow, who's that edge defender from Tulsa. Pretty good player, I might add. I think they can turn him into a real difference maker there in the Big 12. But there's a bunch of others. Alan Bowman's a transfer originally at Texas Tech, went to Michigan. Now he's back in the running to potentially win the starting job. He's going up against Garrett Rangel. And I, I really don't know. I mean, he had a couple starts as a true freshman. And they went 0-3 with him as the starting quarterback. But it's not easy to just step right in to a plug-and-play situation as a true freshman. It's not like he lit it up, completed just half of his passes, 711 yards, four touchdowns against five interceptions. But that's a competition that will likely go into the summer. I like Bowman to ultimately win the job, but it will be something to keep in mind. Guys thrown for over 5,000 career passing yards and 34 touchdowns. Pretty good player. Just was lost in the shuffle a little bit at Michigan last year. And then the final aspect of what I want to see from Oklahoma State, got to get that offensive line going. Remember, this has been an aspect that's been holding the pokes back for quite a while. They've borderline been below average relative to what they've had. Now, they've had a bunch of guys that were injured, banged up, below average performance, up and down last year. So Charlie Dickey, the offensive line coach, they kind of had a bit of a musical chairs last year. That can't happen moving forward. They have experience across the line, nine different guys that have made at least one start in their career, but now they need to show development and they need to figure out who are the best five that they can roll with heading into the fall of 23. Let's move next up north. Completely different team, completely different looking team, completely different philosophy for the Wisconsin Badgers. And I think, by the way, I'll just say this. Wisconsin, if there's a team in college football, if you said, Greg, you have to watch one, you get to watch one spring game this offseason, which one do you want to see? I honestly think, and I can say it in good conscience, I think Wisconsin might be number one for me. Now, is it because they're a playoff contender? Not necessarily, but just the changing of the guard, the differentiation in philosophy, the energy that Luke Fickles kind of brought in. And look, this is not taking anything away from Paul Christ, but it just felt like a perennial disappointment with what Wisconsin did or didn't do. There's really a lot of energy now surrounding the program. Tanner Mordecai is emerging as a legitimate difference maker in Phil Longo's offense. And one thing that I was not convinced of coming into the offseason, I wasn't sure, hey, what do the weapons look like? I mean, they've, they've been doing it a certain way. And yeah, they've had some guys that have come through that are pretty good at wide receiver. But I didn't know what the weapons looked like. I wasn't sure what to expect. Well, sure enough, we fast forward into spring football, and they might actually be significantly deeper than we thought. Keep an eye on what they have at wide receiver. Hearing a lot of buzz, hearing a lot about transfer players, guys that have stepped up with an increased role. That's a position group I'll be watching very, very closely. So Wisconsin, the energy. Surrounding that program, the excitement surrounding that program, I think there's going to be a bit of an adjustment period. And don't be surprised if the offense looks a little bit sloppy in the spring game. It's not the end of the world. This is a read-based offense. This is a feel-based offense where receivers are feeling zones and adjusting to coverage. They might not have that totally dialed in just yet, but they will get there. Phil Longo will find 
away. And then finally, we'll put a bow on everything with the Duke Blue Devils. Are they a real player in the ACC? 18 returning starters last year, eight on offense, eight on defense, and two team, two special teams players, including quarterback Riley Leonard. This was a nine and four football team last year, went five and three in Mike Elko's first season. Now, are they a real player? Let's be real. Probably not. Are they going to be consistent and steady and understand how they beat teams? Absolutely. Mike Elko's extremely self-aware understood exactly what they needed. They found a quarterback, which was step number one for the offense taking flight. And this team surprised everybody last year. I thought Mike Elko should have been in the running for not just ACC coach of the year, but for national coach of the year with the turnaround that he created in year number one. Now he wasn't going to overcome Sonny Dykes. Let's just be real, but he would have been on the short list. If I could list five, Mike Elko would have certainly been in that position. So Duke, what will they do in this second season? Will they be able to plug a couple of holes? Like I said, there's not many holes to plug, but can they potentially improve with some of the young players they leaned on last year with their development throughout the offseason? So a lot of exciting stuff going on throughout spring. That was 10 solid questions that we wanted to hit for so many teams that will take this field this Saturday. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. And always, we're going to turn to our mailbag. And we so appreciate all the questions that you guys sent. If you want to hear about your team, hit us up. Always college football at gmail.com. Doesn't matter what your team is. It could be D3 Monmouth. I don't care. Just send us a question and we'll try to dig up as much information on the topic as humanly possible. So dial it in. We can't wait to hear from you. So Coops, let's kick it off. All right. First question comes from Jeff in California. Going into the spring with Schrader on the shelf, can you evaluate the Syracuse quarterback room? Well, I can tell you exactly where they're at. You have two options right now with Schrader being out. I, for one, Far more familiar with the former than I am the latter, but based on what I'm hearing, I need to familiarize myself with the latter. Carlos Del Rio Wilson came into this offseason as the guy that was the backup last year. Now, Justin Lampson is the other guy that's involved in the quarterback competition. He lit it up last spring, but he was sidelined all of 2022 with the spring game. Uh, Sidelined all of 22 with an injury. So, Kind of lost all the momentum. To be honest, called the Notre Dame game against Syracuse last year and was pretty impressed with some of the throws that Carlos Del Rio Wilson was able to execute. But right now, he's pretty much been pushed to the side in favor of what Justin Lampson is doing. He's slinging the ball all over the yard. Went back, checked out a little bit of the 2022 spring game. You can see he's got big time arm. He's really accurate. And... We're looking at a receiver core outside of Aronde Gadsden. All right. Aronde Gadsden is going to be able to create a ton of separation. I get that. Okay. He's one of the best receivers in the ACC. 
Demarcus Adams, Trevor Pena, those guys, the separation's not quite as significant as the separation that you might find at other places. It's not taking anything away from those guys. It's just they don't run away or break away as quickly as some of the others. But even though the windows are somewhat tight, Lampson's been able to deliver the ball in stride and hit those guys time and time again. Now, it stunk that he missed all of last year because there was real momentum built up last season, last offseason, excuse me, prior to the injury. So kind of had to start from scratch all over again. But if you look at everything, man, things are really starting to progress for him. Some of the issues that he had last season are starting to deliver. Last year, kind of struggled a little bit, hitting receivers in stride, no longer the case. And he's starting to find some of the throws down the field that escaped him at times last year. So keep an eye on Justin Lampson. I'm not saying he's going to start over Garrett Schrader. I'm not. But he's a name that we're going to need to make note of for 2024 and beyond because I think based on his performance this spring, he has positioned himself nicely to eventually become the successor and the heir apparent. Arrow pointing up on Syracuse for me. Maybe I'm crazy, but I love Dino Babers. Shouldn't really have to tell anybody that's watched this show that before. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. I also want to take just a quick moment and just say a prayer for Buddy Tevens. Uh, this is a guy that I've known for, for a long time. I actually was a recruit at Stanford when Buddy Tevens was the head coach. Uh, Buddy Tevens and I have stayed in contact. Buddy Tevens and I have spent some time together. He actually ran the Matting Passing Academy. So those that are affiliated with Omaha Productions, you're loosely affiliated with Buddy Tevens. He's one of the great people in college football. And a scary situation, he was riding his bike at night the other day before he got hit by a truck that was going 50 miles an hour. As a result, he's had some medical complications that led to him losing his right leg. And he's the coach currently at Dartmouth, and he is an all-time great person. So if you could just think about him, lucky that he is currently stable, everything looks okay. But if you can just think about him here this weekend, it would go a long way and hopefully lifting him up in prayer and getting him closer to recovery. So I'll be thinking about you, buddy. We love you, man. We hope you're back and we look forward to seeing you again very, very soon. But just a scary moment there and, and something that I just wanted to bring to the attention of all the wonderful listeners and viewers of Always College Football. But that'll do it for us here at Always College Football. Please like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out. It helps the show out. We look forward to getting back with you next week breaking down some of these spring games from the weekend and tell you what we think about where some of these teams need to address some issues. Look, let's, let's try to find some of the things that you want to get fixed when it comes to your team. We'll take a look at some of those things. We'll look through it with a critical eye this weekend. Let's do that. But that'll do it for us here at Always College Football. Hope you have a wonderful weekend. And remember, it's Always College Football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.